Um, here's the thing. It's, it, when you're finished, there's, like, or the, like there's this moment when you're in the middle of it that you know what the puzzle is. You've figured it out. You've cracked the code. And you're just like you're scribbling away. You can't wait to finish. Um, you can't wait to finish the puzzle. Here's, here's the thing. I think in our Christian life, too often we treat, we treat our Christian life or our Christian journey as a crypto quit puzzle or, or anything else, any other kind of puzzle. Like we just want the code. You guys ever play video games and you had the code and you punched in all the, the different things and they'll give you, no? All right, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the standalone nerd that got the, that got the code to try to beat Crash Bandicoot. It's fine. But you got the code and you punched it in and then you, you got like a thousand extra lives and so you could do some more dangerous things during the game. You could take a little risk, try to find a little shortcut here and there or whatever. But I think we treat our Christian life sometimes as, man, if I could only just find the secret code, I would have this thing figured out. We read our Bibles, we open up our Bibles and it's like, God, just show me what the secret code is so that I could get it figured out, or, or preacher, stand up there and tell me what the secret code is. We, look at, we, we often look to the advice of others, our small group leader, or, or our, our mentor, or the person discipling us, and we say, just give me the code, just tell me what to do. Uh, I think if, if that's us, if that's you, if, if you're just looking for a code, or, or a formula, or whatever, you're just going to be left wanting wanting more. Well, the fact is, there's not a, a secret code, right? There's not a formula in Scripture that you're going to find that it's A plus B and you're always going to get C. It, it doesn't work like that. But if you do read the Bible, or you can see it in the lives of other people, there's, there's always, a, or there is for sure, a life that God blesses. Right, there is a life that God will look on and with favor and say, "I want to bless that life." I think I want that, and I think you want it, and I think God wants it for you. And so today we're going to look at uh, a guy by the name of King Hezekiah. Everybody say Hezekiah. Yeah. All right. Well, make sure you wait. That's good. You guys did a great job with that. Um, we're going to look at a guy named Hezekiah, and God really blesses him even while he's in the pits. And, um, and so we're going to try to model a, a few, or we're going to try to learn a few lessons from him. Here's where we are in the story. Over the last few weeks, we've covered uh, a span of 208 years. It's a long time. I only feel that old. I'm not really, but I feel it, right? Uh, 208 years we've covered. And what we've seen is God's people turn into a divided nation. The northern nation's called Israel, and the southern nation's called Judah. Here's what we're going to do just to clear the air and make sure there's no confusion. Uh, we're just going to call them the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. That helps us in, in our minds. Um, God, or the, the people, remember, they asked God, God, give us a king, and God raises up a king, King Saul. King Saul is replaced by who? King David. King David dies, and then his son becomes king. His son's name is Solomon. And then the kings, everyone after that, except for a few, really don't honor God with their life. As a matter of fact, there are 38 kings. And 33 of them, the Bible describes them as did, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
But yet, God hasn't removed his blessing from them. He's still with them. Like, he still has his eyes on them. He's still protecting them, even though their own leaders are not honoring God with their actions and with their worship. And so over this span of time, God sends prophets, uh, nine prophets. We talked a little bit about prophets last week, but, and we'll do a little bit, talk a little bit more about them this week. But he sends nine prophets. And in the Bible, when God sends a prophet into your city, you just need to say, oh, crap, and move on to the next city, right? And when God sends a prophet, there's a warning that comes with it. And here's the, here's the deal with the prophet. You need to listen because God's serious. It took trying to get a prophet to get your attention. And he sends nine prophets to, in this 208-year uh, span. He sends more, but in this 208 years. Man, if, if, if you're not honoring God with your life, okay, if you're not in a pursuit of Jesus, and then God tries to get your attention over and over and over, and you just willfully neglect what God is trying to say to you. It's really hard for him to want, it's really hard for him to bless you. It's hard for us to kind of get this concept, but as we read, I, I think it'll kind of span out. Uh, we'll see today a good balance between God's grace and his mercy, but also God's justice. Second Chronicles, which is about the span we're going to be in. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find uh, Second Chronicles. Joshua, you pass out Bibles. If you need a Bible, Josh will have a few and he'll bring one to you. Just throw your hand up. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, we want this to be your Bible. Take it home, read in it, uh, highlight, circle, underline, um, kiss it, whatever you got to do. I mean, what? I, I don't know. That's weird, but, you know, I'm, who am I to judge you about? Yeah, you do you. Um, if you've got your phone or some kind of uh, tablet device, uh, you can have the Restore Church app, and you can follow along with us on that. Uh, you can also follow along on the um, on version. You download the version Bible app, and you can search the live events section. And uh, we really are trying to make this as easy as possible, okay? And those things will, will last the whole week. So if, if you um, want to go back and look at something we talked about, it, it's on those things, uh, the Bible app and Restore Church app. Uh, if you don't have any of those or you just, your phone's dead or you don't have storage because you got 7,000 pictures of your dog, you can follow along on the, on the screen here. Uh, this is what Second Chronicles chapter 36 says. It's not that God hasn't tried. It's not that God has not tried to get their attention. It says this, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to, to them through his messengers, uh, the prophets, again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. He wants their attention. But, verse 16 says, they mocked God's messengers, the prophets, despised his words, and they scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He's tried over and over to get their attention. He's tried to plead with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom time and time again, but they just refused to listen to God. They just want to live life their own way. And scripture says that God can no longer withstand his own anger. Look, it's easy for us when we see this to just look and say, 
oh, look, there's God's anger again. I thought God wouldn't show his wrath. I thought he was all love. But here's the problem. We, we fix our eyes on the anger, but we miss the opportunities over and over and over that God sends his prophets and say, please, 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 I'm, I'm pleading with you. Just do what I'm asking you to do, right? It's, it's a hard image for us to grasp when we think about God that way, but it's a lot easier for us to understand when we think about our own parenting. It's like, I, like man, I, I want you, like, you, you tell your, your children over and over and over, stop hitting the dog with the hose. I don't know, I just made that up. That's never, ever happened, uh, ever in my house, it, yeah, absolutely not. But you tell them over and over and over, stop, 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 stop. If I have to tell you again, you're going to be in trouble. And then they keep going, and then you're really gracious, right? If, if you do it again, I'm going to whop you. That's a southern term. If you do it again, you're going to get whopped. Um, okay, whop. Uh, it's like when you just get so, you, it's, okay, spanking. I'm going to spank. However, you, uh, if you do it again, I'm going to ground you. You do it again, I'm going to take the keys to the car. You don't really want to. But at some point, they've got to learn you just can't hit the dog with the hose. <laughs> you you, you got to listen. Because when you're a parent and you talk to your children, your plan for them is better than theirs. It's the same with our relationship with God. God, your plan for my life is, I understand it's better than my own. And it's true for the nation of of Israel and Judah, but yet they just don't want to listen. So God's like, if you don't get on the right track, like you don't stop worshiping these other idols in your life, if you don't put me first, if you don't stop, then I, I can't continue to bless that life. And so, after not listening to God's God's, um, so this is what, as the story goes, after not listening to God's warning, after warning, after warning, after warning, what's happening in history at that time is there's a nation called Assyria, and they're flexing their muscles all around the northern kingdom. They're building up their army, they're, uh, they're taking other territories, but they just, for the life of them, cannot get into the northern kingdom because God's protecting them. But eventually, God says, I can't continue to bless you. I can't continue to protect you. So he removes that protection, and the Assyrian army come into the capital of the northern kingdom. They destroy it, and all of God's people flee because they're scared and they're terrified. You ever have one of those moments, those if-only moments? You ever make a mistake? Like, you ever know you're, going, you're making the wrong decision, then you make the wrong decision, and then after you realize you made the wrong decision, you look back and you're like, why didn't I just not do it? And I can't help but to think that Israel or the northern kingdom is thinking the same thing. Well, here is who's watching is the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is obviously to the south of the northern kingdom. And they watch as Assyria comes and wipes out all of God's people, sending them to live as strangers. And um, I I, want to take a moment to, to just talk about the prophets. So as you're reading through your Bible, not the story, but if you were to read through your Bible, this is where it can get confusing. You read, and it, it somewhat makes sense chronologically. You can kind of put things in the order, but when it gets to the prophets, it's just not going to make sense. 
So here's what has to happen if you didn't have a tool like the story, is you got to figure out where each prophet lines up with each king as it talks in Samuel, uh, first, second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. So it, it kind of can get tough. That's why the story is so helpful. And when God would send these prophets, he would send them to, to send a warning. When you get to the book of Isaiah in your Bible, God has sent Isaiah to the southern kingdom to warn them about what just happened to the northern kingdom. Like, if you don't follow what God's going to say, if you're not going to follow his, his commands, it's going to, again, going to be hard for me to continue to bless what you're doing. Isaiah chapter 2, I, I don't know if I put this, uh, I didn't put this one on the screen, but just listen, Isaiah chapter 2, it says this. Isaiah, this is Isaiah writing at this time, he says, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They're full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasure. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their own hands and to what their fingers have made. You've got to see how far they've gotten from worshiping God. So people, because of it, will be brought low and everyone will be humbled don't forgive them. Now he turns his, his attention to the people of the southern kingdom. He says, Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. The human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store and all the proud and lofty for all that is exalted. They will all be humbled. Okay, go back to the children analogy. Look, I, I don't want to advocate for spanking or not advocate for spanking, but just use, ha, 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 ha. I'll just tell you what my parents did. Well, what my grandmother did. She had the wooden spoon. Anybody have the wooden spoon? This is why I act right now. She'll call me now. She said, listen, I know that you're 29 years old, but I'll come down there with the wooden spoon. I'll straighten up, go clean the bathroom, and put my clothes away. I mean, that's how feared I am of that wooden spoon. But I remember uh, when she would grab that wooden spoon, I wouldn't come up to my mammal. Again, it's a mammal. Um, it's like your parents. Okay, you get it. Grandma, I'm going to stop doing that because you don't think it's funny. I'm only doing that because I thought you thought it was funny and you don't. So I'm going to stop. Um, yeah, so she grabbed that wooden spoon. Here's what I didn't do. I didn't run up to my mammal and say, Mammal, your punishment for me is just. Um, my left side is worn out. Please use the right side. But your punishment is fair, and I accept it. No, I'm taking off, and I'm screaming so that my neighbors might hear and call CPS and get me some help because it's about to go down, and she'll probably use the left side. It's the same. I mean, here it comes, and you see it through the Assyrian army. And instead of saying, God, you are just, I guess we're just going to take it. Isaiah says, run and hide. Because here comes the, the wooden spoon. God's trying to send a message from the, and he used the northern kingdom as an example, and he's trying to send Isaiah into the southern kingdom to say, here comes the warning. There's a few times, there's a few things we can draw from scripture about how God tries to warn us. 
The first one is he sends the right word just at the right time. You guys have a mentor or, or someone that disciples you or someone you talk about scriptural things that you've invited into your life to let, you, let them call you out. You want to grow in your relationship with Christ. You need someone like that. And you ever have someone who just at the right time says, dude, you promised yourself and your family you would never turn into that kind of guy. Or, or have you ever had, uh, uh, you, you turn on the radio and, uh, and it's like just the right song at just the right time. Or, you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you, you're really struggling with something and the Bible falls. This happens. I know it sounds crazy, but it happens. And, and there's a highlighted verse and, and sometimes I'll date something when I highlight it and it comes up. And it's like God will send the, the right word just at the right time. Maybe... Maybe that's you today. Maybe this is your word. Maybe this is the, the warning that God's trying to send to you. Maybe this is your first time in church, or, or you've been running away from God, or, or, or maybe your friend or family just kind of dragged you in, and you're like, I really don't want to be here. This guy thinks he's funny, but he's not. <clears throat> well, maybe this is God trying to get your attention. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, someone will, will, will bring, uh, you know, their friend to church, and uh, then they'll hear the topic I'm talking about, and they're like, no, 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 don't talk on that. Talk about something fun. And, and, and uh, here's, here's the, the thing, though. Sometimes God tries to get our attention through just the right word at just the right time. Here's the other way. Sometimes God speaks to us through the example of other people. Maybe you watched your parents head down a road that you promised yourself you'll never head down. Or you saw your friend uh, just on a trajectory toward disaster, and you said, it's not me. I'm going to change. Well, that's where the southern kingdom is looking. They got the word from Isaiah, and now they're watching the example of other people. If I were the Assyrian army or the captain or the king, his name is Sennacherib. Everyone say Sennacherib. You were a little hesitant. Hezekiah was easy. Sennacherib, man, you guys are excelling today. Um, if I'm King Sennacherib and I am the captain or the king of the Assyrian army and I just took out God's people from the north, what am I going to do now? Man, I'm just going to turn south. Let's go. I'm just going to keep going. And so it makes sense that they would turn in their own plans toward the southern kingdom. And if we're looking at whether they worship God or not, the southern kingdom, it would make sense, too, that the southern kingdom is going to see the same fate as the northern kingdom, except for there's an X factor, and his name is King Hezekiah. So, in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, go ahead and find that in your Bible. King Hezekiah does things a little bit differently than other kings. He removes all the idols from their place of worship. You read through his life, he has his own personal worship. You ever been around someone that just exudes like God, you know? Um, we, we tend to be upset with those people, right? Um, but he removes all of these idols from, from the temple worship. And with the Assyrian army right on the northern border, about ready to bring their triumphant army into King Hezekiah's land, this is what he says. And when he speaks, listen to this. When he speaks, he uses the same language as Moses and Joshua. He's trying to inspire his people. Listen, you'll recognize some of these words. Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged. Because of the king of Assyria and the vast army that's with him. Listen to this. You you might need this this morning. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gain confidence from what Hezekiah said, the king of Judah. And so Sennacherib, he, Sennacherib, remember, king of Syria, he, he's like a little bit more uh, tactful. Instead of trying to shed more blood, he comes up with another plan. He sends two messengers into the capital of the southern kingdom, which is Jerusalem, where the temple is. And he has these two men speaking Hebrew, which is their, their tongue. And he tries to, uh, well, I guess scare the people from within. Listen, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 13 15. They say this, Do you not know what I, King Sennacherib, and my predecessors have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the God of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of those nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now do not let, King, let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand, the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? He's got kind of a point, right? I mean, these two kingdoms, they worship the same God, and so why now would they have a boost of confidence? And so King Sennacherib sends messengers to say, the odds are against you. You've seen what's happened. I don't think your God is going to deliver you. And he lies straight to their face. He got in the face of God's people, and he told them what God can't do and what God wouldn't do. And here's what's true for a lot of us right now. When you leave here, you've got an army ready to fight against you. You've got those outside pressures that are pushing in on your marriage. And then you've got someone whispering to you, just give up. It's not worth the fight. Some of you are hearing whispers like, your life is too broken to be put back together. This God can't save you. You're hearing things like, you've messed up too often and too frequent and too recent to belong to any kind of community like this. God can't love you. He won't love you. Some of you are hearing those lies. Man, I I would back away from Sennacherib if I was his right-hand man. I would never tell God what he can't do. Um, So, the father of lies, Satan, might be trying to whisper into you, Uh, these things. But look at what King Hezekiah does next. They try to infiltrate, scare God's people, and King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, they cry out in prayer to heaven about this. Wait, what? (laughs) If I just watched the northern kingdom fall, and now they're headed my way, and I have 
uh, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is uh, pee my pants, and then I'm going to get pen to paper. I'm going to plan something. It's like fight or flight, right? Like, I'm going to get all the people. We're going to stand on the front lines, and we're going to fight. I, I feel like that's the majority of this group. You're not going to scare me away. Let's fight against this punk who has a weird name. And I got my boys with me. Let's go, right? Some of you are like, no, nah, I'm out. <laughs> not one of your boys, Slater. <laughs> like, it's a fight or flight mentality right now. And he- King Hezekiah... And Isaiah, they fight just in a different way. It says they cry out in prayer uh, about this. <clears throat> you've been around Restore Church, you've heard this phrase multiple times, but this right here is a desperate prayer. Write that down, desperate prayer. Listen, when you leave, if the, enemies are, if the enemy is right outside your borders, right, this father of lies or Satan or this spiritual battle that's trying to infiltrate your life, if Satan's trying to wear you down, this might be where you need to start and where you need to finish. You just need a desperate prayer. We'll talk about that desperate prayer in just a second. (laughs) And then watch what God does. That was verse 20. Verse 21 says this, And the Lord sent an angel. Aww who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. That verse goes on to say, it's not up there, but this verse goes on to say, and then his own sons drew their swords on him. That's how disgraceful this was. I think I want God to fight my battles. (laughs) I think I want that kind of blessing. Look, it says be strong and courageous, not because of how good you are or how how many plans you have or how tight your budget is or how how many marriage retreats you go to or how many parenting classes you take. It doesn't matter how good you are, how many uh, Bible reading plans you've done, or if you're following along on the restoredjacks.blogspot.com as we prepare for Jesus blog. It doesn't matter. It says, it says, doesn't say be strong and courageous because of that. It says be strong and courageous. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. Be strong and courageous, not because of how strong you are, but because of how weak you are and how much we depend on who God is. The New Testament says, if God is with you, who can be against you? I want God on my side. So, after looking at that story, here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us just to look at a few things that we can apply to our lives that we might receive the, that kind of power, right? I want that in my life. Um, and, and really, I want it for your life. I think that God wants our, I think God wants that for our church, to, to bless our church. I think God wants to bless your life. And for some of you, he's eager and he's waiting to do it. Um, look, God really blessed Hezekiah. Look at uh, chapter 32, verse 26. It says this, uh, Therefore the Lord's wrath didn't come on Judah, the southern kingdom, for all the days of Hezekiah. 
Man, it's a special dude. Um, real talk, I make this joke a lot, but if you're looking for a name for your boy, Hezekiah would be a good one. First thing uh, there was for Hezekiah, a commitment to purity. Uh, you guys have been doing so good with this today. Commitment to purity. You say commitment to purity. <laughs> Y'all are like, I don't want to do this anymore, so we're stopping. All right. I've never been the victim of a strike, but you guys just went on one. I hear you loud and clear. Hezekiah had a commitment to purity. I mean, we watch him eliminate all the things that are around him, right? All the idols and the Asherah poles and everything that is in the nation or in the southern kingdom. He, dis- he doesn't just put the idols away in case God disappoints. We can go back to these things. He destroys them. He eliminates them from the land. Remember last week we talked about what an idol is. An idol is anything that's competing for God's glory in your life. And Hezekiah wants nothing to do with it. I don't know what steps you took this week to eliminate those idols, but what we see from Hezekiah is he destroys them. Look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to read quite a few verses here, so try to stick with me. It says, In the first month of the first year of Hezekiah's reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord, and he repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves, make yourself holy, set yourself apart, and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They, took, they turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place, and they turned their backs on him. Skip down a few verses to verse 15. When they assembled their fellow Levites and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord, as Hezekiah had ordered, following the word of the Lord. The priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything that was unclean, and they found, they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it, carried it out to the Kidron Valley. King Hezekiah says, listen, we're God's people, so we need to do it God's way. We're going to worship him the way he said to worship him. He's not led us astray if we follow him. So he has a commitment to purity. Let's talk about purity for a second. Purity is not something we talk a lot of outside, or it's not a lot we talk about, first of all. And when we do, it's just trying to lecture our teenagers to stay pure before marriage. Teenagers, stay pure before marriage. Um, But friends, uh, married people, purity lasts a lot longer than... Purity goes far, far beyond virginity. Purity lasts... uh, Purity is probably even more significant after you get married. And so keep your marriage pure. Uh, if we need to talk about that some other time, let's do it, because uh, I would love to. Uh, but we tend not to, to, to talk about it a lot. Here's, um, here's how I want to talk about purity today. Basically, it's just keeping your heart pure before God. Filtering out all of the idols. Filtering out all of the things that stand between you and God. 
So what in your life is impure? What in your life do you need to get rid of? And here's where I think I struggle, and I I would bet that a lot of us in this room have the same struggle here, is that our standard of purity over time has fallen. And so what is okay now really hasn't been okay. And I'm going to say this quietly, but probably one of the best examples is our film industry. I, I can't watch a rated R movie anymore, uh, mainly because I'm not going to spend $37 for one ticket. But I'm not going to go see a rated R movie because most rated R movies now would have not made it to our big screens 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. There are some television shows you I just can't get past because they're like borderline pornography. But it's okay because everyone else is watching it too. So if it's okay, then our, and you just watch as our purity level as a nation, but really as a society, just continues to drop. We were so excited about going to see Incredibles uh, 2. Right, that's the one that just came out. Because that movie came out when I was like, 12. And so I was pumped for that. A 12-year-old watching cartoons, whatever. Anyway, uh, so we've been like anticipating the sequel forever. Uh, Someone I I work with says it was like the biggest cliffhanger of any Disney movie ever, right? So we were so excited. And we didn't go on like the first Friday night, but then the second time. So my my son wants to be uh, the fast kid. What's his name? Flash. Dash. He wants to be Flash, too. He's a superhero, but he wants to be Dash, and, uh, and Mr. Incredible is so strong. That's me. And, um, and, and so my, my kid and your kids look up to them. They look up to superheroes. But in, this, in, in, the, in just Incredibles, I guess one of the superheroes just says, like, damn it or something. And it's like, <laughs> I don't want my son to come home and say that and be like, well, Mr. Incredible said it. I don't think Mr. Krebel said, I think someone else, but you get my drift. And that movie's rated PG. Our, our level, our standard of purity in our, in our culture is dropping. And if you and I are not careful, then the standard of purity in our lives will also drop because we'll slowly let it in. And what we slowly allow to be okay will be okay. And so maybe what you and I need to do is what Ephesians 5 says is to get to wash ourselves with the word, with God's word, to let God's grace and his mercy and also his justice determine what's pure in our lives and pursue it. I'm going to show you in a minute why this pursuit of purity is so important. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, 8, it says it like this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here's the danger, is for you to leave and say, my purity level is fine. There's nothing really that I need to work on that bad. Imagine it like this. I heard someone tell this story that, imagine that you leave for two weeks, uh, and the whole time you were gone, it rained. And here in North Carolina, that's possible. And you leave, and then when you come back, your grass is like two feet high. Again, possible. And some of us haven't left for two weeks, but our grass is still two feet high. But just imagine. 
Uh, imagine you leave, and you, and you come back, and your grass is too high, so your push mower is not going to get through it. Well, it will, but it might take four hours. But you know that your neighbor who has a riding lawnmower, who he calls a tractor because it makes him feel better about it, he said that you can borrow it whenever you want. All you have to do is ask. So you're like, okay, I'm going to go over and ask my neighbor to borrow his lawnmower tractor. And, uh, and so you're walking over, but your neighbor has a wiener dog. And there's a, there's a lot of pet lovers in here, like real deep pet lovers. But can we all just agree that wiener dogs are kind of obnoxious? Even owners of wiener dogs? Can we just? I'm the one with the microphone, okay? Uh, all right, so this super cute, lovable, really awesome, obnoxious little wiener dog comes, comes running up and starts yipping. They're yippers, right? And start yipping, and you're like, please be quiet, super cute, lovable dog. Um, and then it starts to grab your pant leg. So then you just give it a little, like, get off. I'm going to send a little message right to your chest. Get off. And they're also dramatic. They're also dramatic breed. Uh, that was a good dog f- term. I just used breed. And so they're a little dramatic breed. So you give it a, a little extra, you know, get off my leg. And then it just yips as it rolls across the yard. It doesn't matter. you got to get the, the grass cut. So you walk. As you look up, your neighbor is on the porch like this. Just watched you demolish Tiger. <laughs> and now Tiger's mad and your neighbor's mad. Let me ask you, is this the time to ask your neighbor to use his lawnmower? I mean, tractor. No. There's something you got to clear up between Fred and Tiger (laughs) before you can ask to use his lawnmower tractor. In our relationship with God, some of us just strut over to the yard, we kick the dog, and then we run straight to the lawnmower. And our expectation is that the lawnmower will have full tank of gas, an oil change, a tune-up, and there's going to be an ice-cold glass of water in it. And then we, we go to start it up, and then we're mad at God when it doesn't start. And we're like, God, what's, what's happening? Dude, why aren't you blessing me? I asked you for it. You said in your word that if I asked and believed, you would give it to me. And he's like, there's some things you and I need to clear up first before you can just ride my lawnmower tractor. So, what do you need to clear up with God? Maybe it's someone you hurt and you're just refusing to ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's something you did that you're just running away from and you're just trying not to own up to it. Maybe it's this, like, this reoccurring theme that's running in your life that you need to clear up. Maybe it's this moment that you spend behind a lit screen when all the other lights in the house are off. Meanwhile, we're just saying, God bless me. What is it that you need to clear up with God before before you... um, What is it you need to repent from? What is it you need to confess? 
even when we saw that, um, that even when in verse 26, we saw that Hezekiah repented from pride in his pursuit of purity. So what about you? What's it you need to, to repent from? Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 2, it's the end of Isaiah, the prophet who's inserted into the story as to give warning. At the end of his book, he writes this. He says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. So even watching all of this, he says the Lord is still powerful enough to save. His ear is not too dull to hear. But it's our sin that have separated us from God. And it's our sins that... Your sin have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So what is it that you need to own up to, repent from, confess from, clear up? Second thing, we'll move through this one faster. We see in the life of Hezekiah a commitment to prayer, right? We already saw that together. The Assyrians are on his doorstep. They're about to come into the southern kingdom. And he just, him and Isaiah, it says he, he cries out to God a desperate prayer. There's another verse in the life of Hezekiah. Chapter 32, verse 24 says this, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord who answered him, and he gave him a miraculous sign, and he healed him. Man, right now in this church, there are th- I, I can think of three or four just desperate prayers that we're praying. Man, if you've never, if you've never been in that moment, well, let's rephrase this. For some of us, you know the intimacy, the relationship that comes with God when he's the only way out. Am I right? Some of us, man, we've hit our knees because there's no other way that we're going to be able to pay the bills. And then the IRS sends a check and says, you file your taxes wrong. Here's the exact amount. Some of us have, have hit our knees and said, man, he just doesn't love me anymore. We committed. We stood in front of our family and friends and said, for better or worse, What am I going to do, God? And then all of a sudden we see this transformation of a man who falls in love with Jesus, and then he falls in love with his wife, and their marriage is renewed again. We've seen God come through to to provide justice for falsely accused people. We've We've seen families in this church who've needed hope and encouragement, and they get it from places we've not seen. You see, there are times when you and I just have to cry out like Isaiah and Hezekiah did and say, God, you are the only way, and I don't know how else this is going to happen. What if we did that first? A commitment to a desperate prayer life. <clears throat> we launched, our, our first church service was March 19th, 2017. So we're only a, a little bit over a year old, so if you're new with us, um, we're, we're still working out the kinks and, of being a church, but this is about the best we got, so sorry if this doesn't impress you. But, but uh, we're, we're like, uh, we're, we're real brand new. Well, what we did before we launched was we had, a, we had a few services we called practice services, and we knew the first one was going to be a train wreck because, uh, you know, there's a lot of technology running, and we, Honestly, we still don't know how to use it. We're just figuring it out. But anyway, uh, so that week was, was really, we thought about locking doors, like not letting anyone in. But there's one special person who showed up that day. I think they were the only person that came outside of our launch team. Her name was Angela. 
And uh, that day, she gave her life to Jesus. Um, I can't help but to, one, think about the accumulation of prayers that we prayed leading up to our very first practice service. I can, I can see it. She, I'm nervous. In an in a empty room, I'm nervous. But she just sits back and she cries and cries and cries. And we, after we were finished, we talked and I said, hey, um, uh, you, you know, we, we talked about the, the message and, and really what connected with her. And then she says this to me, what can I do? H- how can I jump both feet in? And I was like, dude, church planning is going to be awesome. <laughs> um, she has a special place, in, in especially in my heart, but in our heart as a church. And she called me yesterday just crying. Some life situations have kind of taken her away from Jacksonville, bring her back into Jacksonville, away from Jacksonville, back to Jacksonville. But she called me yesterday, and I, I had to ask her two or three times, uh, can, I just need you to breathe and talk to me. Breathe and talk to me. Yesterday, uh, Angela found her, her dad dead. And then uh, her, her uncle, who was present, collapses and goes to the emergency room. She said, I, this, this is all she could think of. I need my church family to pray for me. Even in moments of desperate prayer, Right? We need each other to be included in that. I can't imagine the prayers that she's praying. I know what they sound like to, from me, but I'm sure they're, they're pitiful. Here's, here's the reality for our prayers. So I'm asking you to pray for Angela. You don't, a lot of you don't know Angela. Pray for her uh, and her family. So here's what we're calling each other to. We're calling each other to purity. Because James says that a prayer, the prayers of a righteous man, of a pure man, are powerful. I'm asking you to purify your life so that when you pray to God, your relationship is stronger and he can bless you. I'm asking you to purify your life so that when you pray for me, and when you pray for Angela, and when you pray for each other, that God is like, man, I am waiting, I am eager, I can't wait to bless you. So that's what we're calling ourselves to this morning is purity and, uh, and prayer. <clears throat> so uh, what happens next? We're going to wrap up here. What happens next? God spares the southern kingdom, at least for the time being, right? He wipes out the Assyrian army, time being. Well, Hezekiah dies. His son Manasseh takes the throne. Uh, Manasseh does what all the other kings do, do, does, did. He doesn't follow God. He brings the, temp- the idols back in, has them build more temple or more idols. And eventually the southern kingdom, we'll see in just a few weeks, will fall just like the northern kingdom did, just to a different nation. And we've been going through the story for a while, haven't we? That's why we're doing this preparing for Jesus, to try to see where it's all pointing. Um, we've been, we've been to doing this for, for a while. And uh, I got to, I was talking to someone about the story. I like it. I'm enjoying the story. And I'm so glad that you all are here to enjoy what I like. But it, I, it's a joke. He, um, I, I'm telling him about the story, and, and I'm excited about it. I love the story. I, I, I like how it puts the Bible in narrative form. It inserts the prophets right where they go. It just makes it easy to understand and easier to read. And I'm super passionate about the story. And he says, look, I like the story. It's good. Roger, easy on the story. It's good. I, I like the story, he said, but 
I just feel like we've been in the Old Testament for a really long time. Can we just like get to Jesus already? The, the people in the Old Testament, they've tried the law and that didn't work. Then they're like, we want a king. And so God gives them the king and that didn't work. And then God tries to send prophets to warn them and that didn't work. And Isaiah writes, I mean, some, some people call Isaiah the fifth gospel because it talks so much about Jesus. And he, he talks about the one that's going to come. And, and you just look at the nation of, uh, you just look at God's people and you're like, nothing's working. Can we just get to Jesus already? Can we just get to the only thing that's going to save us? Can we just get to the only one who can heal us? The only one that's going to bridge this gap that we're so, like, so bad at closing. But even when Isaiah writes Isaiah, we're still 750 years away from Jesus. So it's almost like you look at this gap, and it's, it's just a gap of misery and cluelessness and lostness and wandering. <clears throat> Maybe that describes you... You're just in this gap. The only thing that's going to heal you, that's going to save you, that's going to bridge that gap between you and God is Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we, um, we come before you and some of us with pure hearts, some of us with not so pure hearts, God, we ask you to, to forgive us. We know that you will. And to hear our prayers. God, bless us. There's some of us who are about to pray a desperate prayer. So God, in that moment, forgive us for being impure. And God, show off. Come through for us. Some of us have, we've tried all the other stuff, and now we're looking at you and saying, God, do what you, only you can do. God, show your power, flex. God, leave us puzzled and baffled in, in our own lives. Um, God, help us in our search for purity. God, thank you for your word that gives us what that looks like. Thank you for a group of people, right, of, a community of imperfect people around us that helps. We can help one another. God, it's, you call it your church. God, we love you, and we stand before you humbled and desiring you and only you. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.